You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Preview, preview, preview. That's what we're doing here on the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert. I am Mike Morgan. Hopefully at this point, late in the week, you still are fully aware of who you are. And you were excited about week 10 coming up on the college football slate. Will it be a fourth consecutive week of an unranked team defeating a nationally ranked team, an unranked team defeating really a team that was in line for a national championship. When you go back and look at it, that's what we've had three weeks in a row. We'll see if that happens again this, this week. He's JC Sherbert of 24 seven sports, Mike Morgan, ESPN, SEC network. Uh, I'm not going to lie to the American people, JC. This is not a bevy of great games all over the place, but you've got some good ones and certainly Uh, It's led by what's going on in the SEC and what's going on in Jacksonville with Georgia and Florida. The Georgia Bulldogs, a a six-and-a-half-point favorite, should be rocking in the city that produced Leonard Skinner, right? Yeah, and I've got to give people credit that predicted this game would decide the East. I was very, very skeptical about this, very, very skeptical about Florida uh, for most of the year, even when they started off so well, but – uh, as I begun to see began as, as I begun, goodness gracious, Foghorn Leghorn. Um, <laughs> as I began to watch them win game after game, where maybe they didn't play well or had to come from behind, you know, sometimes my teams get get like that. And the Gators have had a team like that. And it was in two thousand six. Not many people realize this, but that national championship team that obliterated Ohio State did not score more than 30 points in an SEC game until the SEC championship game when they played Arkansas. Um, It was kind of a struggling bunch on offense, really good. Charlie Strong had a good defense that year, Urban Meyer's second year, but they won a lot of close games. And I I think sometimes when you're trying to get back as a program, as Florida is, that is important. I think these guys play like winners. I haven't always seen some of the Florida teams in, in recent years past do that. Um, and, and, hey, you know, the, the Gators, you know, have won 11 out of their last 12 football games. It absolutely would not surprise me to see them win the game Saturday and ultimately win the SEC East just because I think 
you know, Georgia's got some problems, um, you know, and, and I think that Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator for Florida, if he can have, find a way to sell out to stop the run, and Florida is susceptible to giving up rushing yardage uh, and force Jake Fromm to pass and force the Georgia receivers to beat the Florida defensive backs, you know, you can easily see a scenario where the Gators win the football game. I'll tell you one thing, it's going to be a long, long few weeks if that happens um in bulldog country and it's going to be a, a really long and questionable time frame for kirby smart and that might not be fair but that is reality um you're you're going to start hearing things like this this isn't much different than what we saw under mark richt early on uh you're going to hear a whole lot of kirby's trying to micromanage an offense as if it's 2009 alabama this is not 2009. This is 2019. You're already hearing whispers of some of these things. Uh, and living in Atlanta, I hear it every day. Now, if you win and you keep doing things and uh, win the East and spring an upset in Atlanta, then it'll be a, a Kirby love fest again. But there's a lot of Georgia fans that still haven't gotten over two games in which they had Alabama on the ropes and somehow found a way to lose. And those games cost Georgia at least one national championship, potentially another. And they certainly haven't gotten over the home loss to South Carolina, a team that hasn't won a game since. Uh, Those things combine with the fact when Georgia does lose, and sometimes, quite frankly, even when they win, their offense is really pedestrian. And no matter what you think of Jake Fromm, dude's probably going to be on an NFL roster for a while. I don't know if it's going to be as a starter or holding a clipboard, but he he has that kind of ability. DeAndre Swift should have been a Heisman Trophy candidate. He's not going to have the numbers to probably even get to New York. Uh, I realize they don't have great wide receivers, and they lost a lot. And I think people underestimated how much that would impact their offense. But it looks to me, new offensive coordinator, same type of conservative offense. And when I see that, that is a reminder to me that your head coach is letting you know how the offense is going to be run. No one's going to go in there with Kirby's philosophy now and throw the ball 40 times a game. You you are running an offense within the confines of how Kirby Smart likes to see it. And it, it is very emblematic of what, Alabama and Nick Saban did with their offenses, no matter who the coordinator was again in their early part of dominance, but Nick has evolved. His, his hiring of coordinators has evolved. His play calling or overall philosophy on offense has evolved. And I think a lot of people want to see Georgia do the same (laughs) again in in bulldog country, but they haven't as far as Florida. I mean, you, you said it all. Uh, Dan Mullen is overachieved. I still don't think it is a great team, but it doesn't matter. They just find a way to win close games, which no matter how you slice it, that is symbolic of good coaching. And Dan Mullen is a good coach, and the Florida Gators have been coached up well. And as I've said for two years, whoever they were going to play at quarterback over Felipe Franks would be an improvement, and Daniel Trask has certainly been just that. I think it's going to be a very interesting game. Uh, very, it's one of those, if the game was in the swamp, I think Florida might actually be favored, but it is on a neutral field. Georgia still to me has the better team and should win the game. If they don't look out 
at Florida, and if you're Dan Mullen, you're still kind of playing with house money, to be honest with you. I mean, you think of where the program was when he took over. You, you lose your starting quarterback early in the season. You've had a lot of injuries on the D-line, which is kind of supposed to be the strength of your team. They're playing with house money. They, they really are. They can go in there pretty carefree. Uh, every year this comes up, and they just re-up for another three years, by the way, in Jacksonville. Could you imagine, for example, J.C., uh, all the years you were in South Carolina, could you imagine if the Gamecocks and Clemson Tigers played every year on a neutral field in, say, Charlotte? Hmm. Uh, I, I, something tells me that wouldn't go over well. <laughs> and, and and it's always a, a subject of major debate. But I, I read some numbers today. Here's why that game is not moving anytime soon. Your average for an SEC school, you know, the the, the, the caliber of what we're talking about here. The average kind of take-home pay, if you will, when Florida plays at the Swamp or Georgia plays between the hedges is about $3 million. Okay, that's, you know, tickets sold, concessions, you're, you're bringing home three mil. That's every two years, right? Mm-hmm. The average over two years for each school, what they take in uh, for Georgia-Florida is over $11 million. <laughs> so it's nearly four times as much the payout. Now, I know they're SEC schools, and they already make more money than God, blah, 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 blah. But it's tradition and a big, big financial uh, gain over what they would have if they have just played at home and home, which they've only done once in, like, over 50 years. And that's when uh, – uh, I believe that's when renovations were taking place back in the mid '90s. So, yeah. uh, I don't know if that's going to be moving anytime soon. No, and I like it being a Jack. Just as a college football fan, you know. And, and here's the thing, too. I think that you know, you, you when you you have all these kickoff games now too that are neutral site games, um, and I think that wears on the fans a little bit because all of a sudden you look around, like in Alabama's case. I mean, they're just spitting bullets because their home schedule is just donkey some years. Like some years, Alabama fans, they're not going to see a game closer than 30 points or a worthy opponent or anything like that um, because they're playing the neutral site game and then the schedule flips and maybe their East opponents aren't that good. Tennessee's been their East opponent for, you know, as far as the permanent goes. Uh, and you have that. But I do think games like this, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, and Dallas, Florida, Georgia, and Jacksonville, I do think that that game's tradition. And Georgia fans will gripe. Because it's 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 far away from a lot of the state of Georgia, you know, and it's not that far away from northern Florida where a chunk of Gator fans are. You know, you're talking about a, a big, long drive from Atlanta to the Atlanta area to Jacksonville. Yeah, not so much Orlando to Jacksonville or even Tampa to Jacksonville. So uh, Steve Spurrier used to talk about how, well, that game's in the state of Florida, so Florida should win it every year. Hmm. It's like a home game, and they did. I mean, he went what eleven and one in that game, and and, and helps when you're going up against Ray Goff many of those years. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, Ron, <laughs> but, but I'll tell you this: Ron Zook was uh, three and one against the Bulldogs, uh, against Mark Rick. You know, Urban two and Meyer, one, I think. two two and one. Maybe only yeah. three years. Um, Jim McElwain <laughs> was two and one against the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Part of the reason why Mark Richt is no longer coaching. There. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it, it, it's Big a deal part. though, that, it, but it, then Georgia's won the last two pretty handedly. And so uh, my point is for Georgia fans, 
the reason you've lost that game is because Florida's just, you know, owned you since Steve Spurrier got there for the most part. Um, and before that, Georgia was winning that game just about every year. So it's not where it's at. Um, I understand Kirby Smart's, you know, Kirby Smart said, well, I hate it that we miss a recruiting weekend and all that good stuff. I know, but I mean, this is part of the the fabric of your program, the the, the, the tradition of college football. You, know? you mentioned the recruiting. He is trying to, and I can't believe uh, this wouldn't be allowed for both schools. He's trying to get kind of a waiver that says you, you can use that as a recruiting weekend. Why not just let both schools do that? Why not let Oklahoma, Texas do that in Dallas every year? Oh, yeah. I, I think that for the tr- – now, you know, the, the kickoff games and that are on neutral fields, Chick-fil-A, Classic, things like that, you can leave tickets for recruits. A certain number, you can leave them tickets. Um, certain conferences were allowing them to do that, then certain w- conferences wouldn't. But, you know, for the, the games like Oklahoma, Texas, and, and like uh, Florida, Georgia – where that's just part of the schedule every year? Absolutely. You know, because that's a selling point for those football programs. And, and you know, you, you don't get a look at the academic end of the university or the campus life or anything like that. But you do get exposure to the program, exposure to the fan base, and that all kind of facilitates comfort level, which is what all recruiting decisions are based on. So I, I have no problem with that. As far as the locale, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it, and I, I don't know – I don't think you're ever going to get a consensus on this. I wouldn't mind seeing it do a uh, one every three year rotation. For example, uh, one year in the swamp, one year in, at Sanford Stadium, one year in Jacksonville. But that would that would tinker with tradition. I get it, and obviously, as I mentioned, the cash register would be a little bit light. But they've also uh, mentioned playing it in Atlanta. Uh, you know, Atlanta one year, Jacksonville. So it's still a neutral field, but mm-hmm. it's neutral close to Athens whether you know you know what I'm saying right and you could probably get a similar payout for that but heck I, I'm, I'm for just leaving it there in Jacksonville yeah I, I mean I, I wouldn't have anything against it I've, I've actually been to that city for that event and it is magnificent and as much as it's geographically more convenient for some than others I mean it, it's a 50-50 ticket split you go there and there's never been a discernible difference between red and black and orange and blue it's it's about 50 50 uh once you're actually in that stadium so that that is a cool uh unique part of that rivalry and again that's going to be the way it is uh, for quite some time georgia six and a half point favorite in that game easily the marquee game of the sec and really the marquee game of the weekend there are a couple interesting matchups in the pac-12 oregon is at southern cal you and i talked on the last podcast oregon is is carrying the banner for the Pac-12. Boy, if there's a close call, those Pac-12 officials. No, I'm just kidding. They, they would never, they would never try and look out for one team over another. But uh, there's no question the Pac-12 has a lot of people pulling for Oregon because they'd like to see the Pac-12 actually in the playoff. Southern Cal still fighting for the divisional crown in the Pac-12, and Clay Helton, of course, coaching for his job. Utah, Washington, not a bad matchup in the Pac-12 either. A game day is in Memphis. Uh, SMU is at Memphis. SMU, we've talked about what a great story they have been. Memphis is seven and one on the year, three and one in the American. Uh, you might say, well, well, why this? Well, a game day likes to mix it up. They were at, you know, they were in South Dakota last week. There's only so many times you can go to the same ten schools and do college game day. 
the other thing is, quite frankly, and I don't know if they've come out with this publicly, it never hurts to have an alignment with the people that run College Game Day. This is where Conference USA, instead of having their games on, uh, I don't know, Facebook or whatever, <laughs> uh, the Americans signed a, a big, nice contract with ESPN a few years ago, and uh, you could say those two conferences are, are, are very much aligned. And so sometimes you, you want to throw the bone a little bit to some of the, the teams and conferences that you showcase every week. And ESPN showcases the American in prime time, uh, not only on Saturdays, but on other given nights. They've been on Thursday, Friday night football at times as well. Uh, and it gives folks a chance to just uh, uh, see game day at other parts of the country. And by the way, Memphis is a pretty cool town as well. So uh, that'll be a, an interesting game. Game is on prime time, too. 7.30, yep. ABC, national television. So that's uh... – that's a big deal. And, and you know, the University of Memphis has a lot of fans. I mean, Memphis, they do get out and support the University of Memphis. And um, SMU does have fans as well. So they, they, uh, they'll probably bring, bring a crew over from Dallas. And the Liberty Bowl, Mike, will be rocking Saturday night. The Liberty Bowl. You want to tell me Memphis couldn't have been a good fit in the Big 12? Oh, as well absolutely. as Houston? as well as UCF. I mean, I, that whole thing was such a drop-the-ball moment, in my estimation. SMU could have been, really. I mean, uh, you know. Well, yeah, uh, you're right. You're, this is the year, you know, the last couple of years, think about that. Houston is a no-brainer, and it's, it's a shame Texas politics will keep them out of the Big 12 forever. Uh, but they clearly belong. Uh, SMU, another original Southwest Conference school right there in Dallas, somehow not allowed in the Big 12. Memphis was a school that they flirted with in that whole sham of a beauty contest where they decided to take nobody. Uh, they're a great story this year. And then, of course, UCF's been a great story for a couple of years, uh, winning a, B- uh, a BCS bowl game, a New Year's Six bowl game, you know, having the winning streak, et cetera, et cetera. All these schools were called before the Big 12 in their little beauty pageant to which they basically said, no, you're all too fat and ugly. We don't want any of you. Uh, you can't tell me that the Big 12 couldn't have been helped by adding two more schools, but they chose not to, and uh, the rest is, is history, and they're all now doing their thing in the American. But I uh, just got to thinking about that as we started going over uh, those particular scenarios. Uh, so uh, nationally speaking, again, it's it's slim pickings, folks. Georgia Southern App State, that's a – uh, a matchup of App State's one of the best stories this year in, in college football. Seven and zero, four and zero in the Sun Belt. That'll be a Thursday night tussle on ESPNU. Yep. Two national champions, uh, national championship winning programs that have no shot at winning a national championship for the foreseeable future. <laughs> right, that that is correct. Uh, Michigan will try not to to look ahead for a while here, and they'll they'll be at Maryland. Uh, Maryland has uh, come crashing down to earth. Virginia Tech at Notre Dame. Kansas State, Kansas. Clemson will uh, try not to be too rude to in-state rival the Wofford Terriers. Um, Cincinnati, East Carolina, Boise State, San Jose State. Okay, there's not much to say about any of those. Let's go over to the SEC slate, shall we? Uh, Take a look what we got there. Uh, Texas A&M playing host to the Roadrunners of Texas San Antonio. I, I don't have much to say here on the game itself. Texas A&M will win convincingly other than 
these the, the way Texas A&M finishes will control the narrative of the offseason for Jimbo Fisher and company. Either it's going to be, yep, we're, you know, he didn't inherit a great situation, but we're on the right track. Look at what we did toward the end. Look at the development of Kellen Mond. Look at what we have coming back next year. Or it's going to be, we spent $75 million and we're still here. We're still a seven and five program. We're still a eight and five program. It's all going to be determined by what happens in November. And yeah, they've got after this game, give them six and three after they beat the Roadrunners. They've got South Carolina at home, which they should be favored, and then Georgia and LSU. So seven and five may be it, Mike. But you know that's what I'm saying. I'll, that is that going to be good enough? I'll say this: if they go and if they're competitive against Georgia and LSU, and then they go and win a bowl game, finish eight and five, keep recruiting well, I think it'll be fine for now. But, you know, the, the problem is, I don't think, I think they fell victim to nobody knew sort of like who to rank, um, you know, and so they just said, ah, Texas A&M. A&M lost its top rusher in the Clemson game. You know, they, they, there's been some teams in the West that have been a little tougher. Auburn went out there and beat them. You know, they're, they're clearly like fourth or fifth in that division, um, probably fourth. And I kind of felt that at the beginning of the year, and, and their schedule is probably the toughest in the country. You know, nobody else has to play Bama, Clemson, Georgia, and LSU, <laughs> you know, in, in the same year. And so I, I think that that's, um, you know, plus everybody else you have to deal with in the West. So I think that's going to determine it. You know, lose to South Carolina, which, you know, heck, who knows? South Carolina won at Georgia. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's another team you can't predict, really. Um, finish six and six, lose the Birmingham Bowl, finish with a losing record. Yeah, I think there'll be some questions for seventy-five million dollars. But I, I think they'll finish eight and five, seven and six, eight and five, and we won't hear the howls until maybe next season. And keep in mind when we say questions that, that, that people immediately jump way too quickly to hot seat. There's yeah. No hot seat for Jimbo Fisher. No, uh, just, just like there's no hot seat for Jeremy Pruitt. There's discussions and angst and these things, these just exist. That doesn't mean it equates to a coaching change, Mm -hmm. but what it means is the college football off season can be really long and cold for some. And it would be very long and, and a bit bitter in college station. If they don't end the season better than say, let's say, I mean, let's say they go seven and five and lose a bowl game. So seven and six, Uh, it's not the end of the world. Doesn't mean that things aren't, on the right track still it just it wouldn't be what people wanted and yes they are a victim of the fact that way too many people jumped the gun on texas a&m of all the different forecasts in this offseason the one that really puzzled me the most was why everybody was so high on texas a&m i just didn't get it because i didn't see i didn't see the personnel there combined with that schedule that was lead, going to lead me to believe that Texas A&M I – and mean, you had some people that really thought they had a chance to win the West. Uh, if they didn't win the West, you had some people thought they finished really close in second. Hmm. And, and none of that seemed realistic. None of that. If you actually, if you actually looked at players, that's just Jimbo. That's just the Jimbo uh, theory. But Jimbo's not enough. Jimbo himself is not enough. Um, look at the last couple of years of Florida State. 
and it'll tell you, Jimbo himself is not enough. You got to have the right players, and they still have to figure some stuff out there at College Station. Uh, as we look at the SEC breakdown, the, the, the slate of games, I just mentioned the first one, keep going down. Mississippi State and Arkansas. Is this the week? The fight in Chad Morris is at home against a one and four SEC opponents pick up their first win. Mississippi State's a struggling bunch, Mike. In our DEFCON segment earlier this week, you know, I forgot to put them on DEFCON too because I honestly think that's where they're at. Um, they're they're looking at a situation where they may not even – I don't know that they're as good of a team as, as Ole Miss this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and every week just kind of gets worse and worse and worse. Now, Arkansas, um, things have – Things are not good. <laughs> Things are not good for Arkansas, man. It's just, uh, it's just tough. Um, Joe Moorhead loses to Arkansas. He may want to call Rutgers and try to go get that job. <laughs> just because that's out it, there. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you know when you hire a guy that's not a good fit, as long as as long as he works out. You know, I don't think Dan Mullen, you know, culturally was a good fit. He's from up in the Northeast and kind of a an odd duck and all that in Starkville, but he won. And so he's yeah. worth it. But uh, Joe Moorhead, he needs to win. And um, you lose to Ark. You become that victim of the Razorbacks mm. who hadn't won in a while. And um, mm. things are going to get – it may go to DEFCON 1 and start Vegas really quick. Yeah. And, of course, Arkansas is already near DEFCON 1. <laughs> Those are a couple of uh, second-year coaches – that are are looking for something to, to to smile about, and for Chad Morris and Joe Moorhead, there just hasn't been a whole lot of smiles. Mississippi State is seven and a half point road favorite in that ball game at Razorback Stadium. Ole Miss at Auburn. Speaking of Ole Miss, uh, Auburn Tigers coming off a tough loss. I would imagine though they will respond and be ready for the Rebels at home. Yeah, it's a night game at Jordan Hare. That's tough. Um, Auburn better not lose this because, and I feel sorry for Gus Malzahn a little bit this year. I think he's done a fantastic job with his team with a true freshman quarterback. You know, it's not his fault that you got to go to the swamp during a time, you know, just on the schedule where, you know, Florida's kind of winning games and pulling it out and your, your guy struggles and it's not your fault. LSU and Bama are on the schedule and both of those are two of the top four teams in the country. But the problem is, though, you lose to LSU like that or, you know, by the field goal, that's a big letdown because that, that, was, that was basically your season. Keep in mind, Auburn doesn't have – Auburn doesn't have let's get to the Gator Bowl type of standards, they think. You know, they, they – mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it was kind of a put-up or shut-up here. I think he's done a good job. I think they should – you know, I don't, I don't see him getting on the hot seat. But that could change, as we all know, Mike, for – Following Auburn athletics for most of our lifetime, yeah, a loss at home to a bad Ole Miss team <laughs> when you got Bama and Georgia coming up too. Yeah, <laughs> things can change in a hurry. Uh, you um, just can't do it. You and, can't, and, Gus knows it. You can't do it. And, and, and like I said, that that loss to LSU essentially was their season in terms of big big things. You know, that, that's not to say something crazy couldn't happen and there's an upset and a three way tie and hey, they're right back in it. Hey, it's Auburn after all. But um, that's just one of those. I mean, this is almost better not lose Saturday in the SEC. <laughs> Joe Moorhead, better not lose. Yeah. Gus Malzahn, better not lose. Uh, and let's go to the next two games. Yeah, no, I agree. 
I agree. Uh, actually, I'm going to I'm going to steal your better not lose, and I'm going to throw it in for Jeremy Pruitt of yeah. Tennessee. They're playing UAB at home. This is not an automatic Mm-mm. against the Blazers. Bill Clark is one of the best coaches nobody talks about in the country. Agreed. UAB almost beat them a few years ago too up there. It was probably more than a few, probably like seven or eight years ago. They're not going to be scared. They're going to go up there. Tennessee, really huge win over South Carolina, kind of got up off the mat, played their best game this year. Tennessee's receivers are really, really good. The quarterback situation seems to be stabilizing. The defense is playing well. But you lose to UAB at home, (laughs) and all of a sudden you got home losses to Georgia State, BYU, and UAB. Um, You know, we're getting close to Halloween. I mean, that's like a freak – that's like a freaky schizophrenic kind of, um, you know – Boil the bunny in a pot type of crazy uh, acting team if you lose that one. But, I, I you know, I, I actually think Tennessee will win. But like you said, might better not lose. Just don't, don't, don't start feeling too good about yourself after a convincing win against the Gamecocks. You're st- yeah, you've been at home. You've been told you've turned the corner. Everything's on the track. Wheels are in motion. And then a 6-1 and one UAB team, as you mentioned, very well coached. I actually did one of Coach Clark's games years ago before the program was disbanded and then actually brought back. And uh, they were lucky to hold on to him, quite frankly. Uh, he, is, he is one of the more unsung quality head coaches in college football. They got a quarterback by the name of Tyler Johnston who is more than capable. Just be careful. That's all I'm saying. If you're Tennessee, who's 3-5 and five and fighting like the Dickens, to get to bowl eligibility, that would mean a lot for that program at this stage in time. They sure as heck can't lose to Vanderbilt. Speaking of the Commodores, <laughs> will Derek Mason be ready to break out a dance and show all that swagger if he can win another game? They are 1-3 and three in the SEC. They are at South Carolina. The Gamecocks really have to have this game if they're going to have remotely the kind of season that will be acceptable in Columbia. Yeah, and once again, I said it on the podcast earlier this week, you have people out there going, I don't know why Gamecock fans are upset. It's not like they're Alabama. No, they're not. Agreed. They're South Carolina, and, you know, South Carolina's had like four losing seasons in 20 years. You know, it's been a mediocre program in terms of, yeah, they but they've gotten to bowls and had winning seasons most years. And – it's year four of the Will Muschamp era. You know, he's already lost to two teams that he's combined 6-0 and against in, uh, in Missouri and uh, Tennessee. You lose at home to Vanderbilt. Then you got App State coming in the next weekend. And then at A&M and then Clemson. I mean, you're looking at a, the wheels coming off completely. And uh, I don't think South Carolina will lose this game. I think, I think Vanderbilt had their get-up-off-the-map moment. Um, and they may have one against Tennessee later this year just because they seem to play Tennessee really well. But uh, I think the Gamecocks should win this game. It's at home. It's at night. It's at Williams-Brice Stadium. But, boy, oh, boy, better not lose. Better not lose. Better not lose uh, for sure. You mentioned Will Muschamp, and, and I know that that fan base can be in a frenzy uh, after a tough loss. Think, Think for a moment, though, where was South Carolina after four years – of Steve Spurrier. I'm just looking back here. Seven and five, eight and five, six and six, no bowl, seven and six, a loss in the Outback Bowl. At that point in time, 
people weren't exactly in love with, with Steve Spurrier. Now, by no means am I saying Will Muschamp is Steve Spurrier. One's a Hall of Fame coach. Another guy's trying to prove that he can get the job done in a second opportunity. But I, I'm just wondering, is there enough of a foundation there of goodwill and recruiting? Uh, he overachieved. Will did, I thought, in his first two years. You do have the signature win at a top five program at the time in Georgia this year. I mean, can you can you look back and say, well, look, it took Steve a while to get things going as well. Well, it, it's it's a different type of situation because what the you know Spurrier inherited a program that at the time was happy going to bowl games, having winning seasons and beating Clemson. Um, Steve Spurrier did beat Clemson his second year. He beat Georgia, you know, a couple of times. And he had some big wins, you know, and, and, and yeah, that, that fourth year was bad, but Spurrier was kind of on the deal where, you know, you got this thing called the five year theory. And, and this is good information for everybody. That's not a South Carolina fan that, that wants to fire coaches and stuff. Usually what happens is a coach, when, it, when a program's kind of on this constant churn, you know, all right, coach gets fired after five years. Cause he has a bad year or whatever. New coach comes in. Well, you know, it took old coach a few years to get recruiting going. So he's, he's left behind some pretty good players. You know, so new coach has good success in year one and two. Um, and then new coach probably didn't recruit all that well in the first two years because you got to get recruited going. And so, you know, maybe, you know, it, those guys, as they become upperclassmen, you got some holes to fill in the roster. So you have what's called the year four dip or the year five dip. That's not what happened at South Carolina. South Carolina was in a Bottom of the barrel, literally had a former coach that coached the last year there said there are probably 18 guys on this roster all told that could even play at other SEC schools. (laughs) 18. Muschamp came in and his first recruiting class was better than expected. That helped them get to a bowl game his first year, overachieve his second year. It hasn't been a a build, Mike, that's gone in a traditional sense. He said this is his best team. It is his best team. You can look at some of the games they've played this year and say, hey, these guys, they've got football players. You know, they're woefully inconsistent. They blow leads. They're a horrible second-half team. All that points to coaching, and the same things happened at Florida. That's the other thing, too. If this were Kirby Smart or Shane Beamer or somebody that had a 0-0 and record before they came to South Carolina – I don't think that there'd be any question. They'd say, oh, well, you know, just a bad year, chalk it up to this and, and do better next season. But, but the fact that you had a guy that was not a popular hire, which came to a school that for 17 years had two coaching searches and hired two Hall of Famers, you know, they weren't used to going and taking the out-of-the-box guy, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, don't, I, I think that when they hired Will Muschamp, you know, why do you hire Will Muschamp? Because he's a tireless worker in recruiting. He's going to get the roster fixed really quick. He's good at individual player development. He hires a good staff. He knows he knows everything about running a program at an expert level. If you ever talk to him, he's a brilliant guy. You know, people think he's just a guy that screams a lot. He's not. He's a, he's a very intelligent guy. But sometimes, you know, you can have a guy that – can fix the plane. He can tell you what every part of the plane. He can tell you the avionics, how the plane operates. He, he can go on and on about like theories in terms of how to fly a plane. And, and, and he's great in ground school. And then he gets up in the air and you're like, 
I think I'll, I think I'll take a bus next time, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> he can't fly the plane. Uh, you know, when it gets down to it, he just can't fly. The, I'm not willing to say right now that is Will Muschamp. Uh, I think that even if he fails at South Carolina, the guy could probably go coach in the NFL because that's kind of a different animal uh, and be very successful. Because um, I, I, I just I just think that on game days, and this has been this way for four years at Florida, and really for the last ten games at South Carolina where, against FBS competition where he's lost eight of them. It, it, there's just something that's not happening. I mean, and, it, and it's weird because you talk to his players, this they love the guy. They absolutely love him. I mean, and, and everybody at Florida did too. Um, it's just things just don't tend they, – they tend just not to work out and just tend to be baffling uh, on game day. So, so that's the thing. Yeah. When people talk about the, the you know, comparing the Spurrier thing to the, or any four- or five-year situation to this situation, um, just know that all that, that, that four- or five-year thing does apply – it just doesn't apply universally when right. you're talking about whether or not a program should make a change. It's not a cookie cutter um, analogy. Right. You, you can't. Not all five year situations are the same. And clearly, anybody that watched that South Carolina team with a three and nine that year mm-hmm. uh, with Spurrier and then giving way to an interim coach, it, it it completely bottomed out. And that is what happened. It goes back to my theory, and I always say this: when you hire a Hall of Fame coach on his last leg, you're going to get some good – they had two good years under Lou Holtz. How did it end? Pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a number of good years under Steve Spurrier, that great four-year run, the best four-year run in school history, albeit in an abysmal Eastern Division at the time. And how did it end? Miserably. It, it, you can't just keep hiring, quote-unquote, retreads and – and then not expect that to bottom out eventually, and then you're right back in the same place when it ends. They got more than I ever thought they would get out of Steve Spurrier. I never thought he'd be there 10, 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, this is the one thing I do ask Gamecock fans when they continually say, it's an awful hire. Who would you have hired? Who would you have gotten? And it's crickets. I had one guy say, oh, well, uh, that's why they hire smart people to make those. You don't have to be that smart to know who the top candidates are that you can actually get to your school. That doesn't take a brain trust. Yeah. You know, you look at the people that run search committees. and they, Most ADs never even coach. They're, they're nothing more than glorified fundraisers. Um, but all schools now, they hire search committees. And again, this is, we're not just talking South Carolina here. This is a universal thing. Mm-hmm. When you look at the market, you have to really go back. What, what, sh- who should they have hired? And this is given the benefit of 2020 hindsight, three, four years later, and tell me who you would have gotten that would have been a slam dunk hire. And it's, again, it's crickets. Yeah, I don't, I don't question the hire. I, I don't. I, my, my questioning of it is moving forward. And look, sure. I had a guy that used to work at Texas and, and very familiar with Will Muschamp and stuff like that. And, you know, big fan of Will Muschamp. And, and look, I, I still am. I still am. And he said to me the day or he said, JC, this may or may not work out, but I'll tell you this, you're going to have a lot of great football players on your roster when he leaves. If, if it doesn't work out, you can just move on, and then the new coach will have a better, a better right. roster. And that's exactly what happened at Florida. I mean, Jim McElwain <laughs> won two SEC East with Will Muschamp's players on right. you know, defensive-heavy teams. So I, I, 
Yeah. Urban Meyer benefited from the Ron Zook hire because one thing Ron did, he brought players to Gainesville. Yeah. And, and so, I, I, for, so for that reason, you know, I don't, I don't think – I think it was exactly what South Carolina needed at the time. Right. I just feel bad that, you know, we have now a seven and three-fourths year track record of Will Muschamp coaching in the SEC where the same things happen over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah, don't lose to Vanderbilt <laughs> would be my advice. Better not champ. lose. Better not that lose. <laughs> would, that would be a really, really long Saturday night uh, in the Palmetto State. I think better not lose is a, is a new catchphrase here on the J.C. and Morgan podcast. I, I think so. Better I think not we, lose. We, and, and as we, we get into November, I think it's even going to be more applicable uh, for, <laughs> for a lot of teams and a lot of coaches. I'll give you another better not. Better not shop for custom-made men's suits or clothing overall anywhere else other than BP, Skinner, Clothiers. And that, that's no matter where you live. Uh, some of you have already taken advantage of the great fall special, and I don't know how much longer it's going to go on, so take advantage of it. But if you buy a sports coat or even a suit, just one, uh, Brent Skinner is going to throw in a free custom-made dress shirt. That's like a $200 value. Those are slick, I can tell you that, uh, wearing a few in my uh, experiences here. He's developed a reputation for a reason. I found out about him from actually a coach or two. Uh, other broadcasters recommended him to me. People in the business sector, anybody that wants to look good, you need to find somewhere that you can get good clothing that's going to make you look your very best and fit you your very best. And I'm sorry, but your average chain is not going to do it because I made that mistake as well. Go ahead and check out BP Skinner Clothiers. All you got to do is go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. You'll get all the contact information you will. Set up an appointment with Brent. He will come to you. He will come to you. Get a suit or two. Get a few shirts. Whatever the case may be, it's not like a minimum order you have to make in order for him to do this, but you're probably going to want to get at least a couple of suits while you got them there, and you will notice the difference right off the bat. And it's not that expensive. It's not as pricey as you think it would be. You're not saving that much money when you go to your local chain store either, and you're definitely sacrificing the quality and how you look. BPSkinnerClothiers.com, proud sponsor of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Tell them that we sent you. And, again, it'll hook you up with a free custom-made shirt. I'm going to throw this out there uh, in closing. This is not just for the gamblers, but it's a unique situation I, I, I almost thought this was a mistake. So we have two games next week featuring eight no teams. Penn State, Minnesota, LSU, Alabama. What's significant is a couple of things. Number one, that hasn't happened in the history of the AP poll. So over a half century, we've never had two eight no matchups this late in the year. It's just never happened. Uh, number two, what's interesting is all four of those teams have a bye this week. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is, I, I mean, I keep, yeah. it, so because of that, you can already get a point spread on that game. So I, I, we're not we're not a gambling site here, but I always do check out point spreads, and I have a million friends that bet on college football. I had one friend of mine who was desperately trying to find a way to bet on Justin Fields to win the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, I think the odds now are down to six. You, it's uh, six to one. I think Justin Fields, uh, as we speak. But anyway, uh, you, Joe Burrow, of course, is the favorite. Joe so Burrow. Penn, Joe Burrow, go Tigers. Penn State is a. Fa- we should just do a whole podcast disguised as Coach O, and then see if we have any throat left 
the if, rest of the week. If they win the national championship, I'm going to do a, a soliloquy like a like a monologue. Oh, that'd be great. Well, what a day it was born in Louisiana. The dream yeah. of uh, leading LSU Tigers to the to the national championship. It all started with wrestling a gator to his demise. <laughs> then I became an assistant coach. Um, we love Coach Joe. We, we kid because we care. Uh, yes. I think he's. I think he's great. In, in a in a in a conference where we used to have mega personalities as head coaches like Steve Spurrier, like Lou Holtz, uh, like Terry. Terry yeah. Bowden. Terry uh, Bowden. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, he was kind of spicy. Les Miles was really interesting. Was well, he was he was gold. Uh, we don't have much left. So, Coach O, please lead the. All we have is a surly Nick Saban who finds a, a reason to be pissed off uh, once a week. But I, we need we need some more personalities, please. So, Penn State is a six and a half point favorite against Minnesota right now. You can lay the lumber if you want. And even though we don't know about Tua for sure, they've already got a, a line out there. That's just cur- courtesy of betonline.something or other. Um, LSU at Alabama, six-and-a-half-point favorite for the Tide. Hmm. Six-and-a-half-point favorite for the Tide. That, that's, a, that's an interesting spread, given that the Tua thing is up in the air. Of course, I don't expect Nick Saban to really be forthcoming about it. I just, uh, I just well, don't. No, it's not forthcoming yeah. about it. Yeah, I don't. Else. I don't think he's gonna be that forthcoming about it. So we we got two weeks of uh, reporter poor poor reporters in Tuscaloosa asking him about two and him going, "Listen, guys, I don't know if I, uh, I don't." He said something about I don't have a crystal ball the other day. I was like, "Oh man, this is gonna be a long couple of weeks for my buddies that cover the Crimson Tide." Yeah, that's not gonna be a fun job. Uh, oh, by the way, this is the first time we almost would go an entire podcast previewing a weekend and talking about a game that was once uber relevant and now is just oh by the way they're playing but at 330 yes once two proud programs led by great men now it's miami florida state led by willie taggart and manny diaz uh those two are going to do battle in tallahassee at 330 yeah florida state's a favorite in this game too and you know florida state when they've won games this year they've Kendall Browse and his offense, they've, they've been on target. You know, they'll win like 35-14, 35-17, that type of thing. When Miami's won games this year, it seems to have been very low scoring, 16-12 to over Pitt, 17-9 over Virginia. You know, so the Hurricanes don't need to get in a track meet with these guys. <laughs> that sounds crazy to say. Um, and, and that's, the, you know, Mike, the ACC, to its credit, like I look through the Big Ten schedule, there's nothing. It's garbage. The Big Ten schedule is we're going to have some great Big Ten football in November. Not this weekend. Garbage. Uh, We talked about the Pac-12 games. TCU at Oklahoma State is the best game in the Big 12. The ACC, to its credit, they have this one. And, you know, a lot of Miami and Florida State fans still, you know, they very much care about this football game. Virginia at North Carolina, I think, is intriguing in terms of the Coastal Division. And then Virginia Tech, who we had at DEFCON 1 after a 45-10 home loss to Duke. The Hokies all of a sudden are five and two. They have not lost since then, and they go to Notre Dame after the shellacking the Irish took last week against Michigan. So, if you're Notre Dame, that's a better not lose. I think better not lose to the Hokies at home. Uh, agreed. Uh, agreed. Even though they're completely out of the national championship hunt anyway, but yeah, don't lose though. Yeah, but but don't lose. Yeah, that would not be that would not be good for a particular coaching staff. That is for sure. 
Uh, as, as desperately as I try to find another game with any type of intrigue, I'm really not seeing one. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it. all that's, I got, folks. That's all we got. We, that's, that's, that's we maximized the schedule for this preview show, I'm telling you. We, so. we have. We have. The good news is November is outstanding. It's almost as if we backloaded 75% of the really marquee games in college football this year. I don't like that, nor do I like the double buy. I can't, I can't wait till we get rid of that, which is, it only happens one out of every like eight years. But, uh, if, if I was, if college football had a true commissioner, I think the, the quality games would be disseminated a little bit better than they have been this year. But such is life. It is what it is. We take what we can from the good, and there will be some good this weekend, and we'll talk about it, and we'll have plenty to look forward to next weekend with some marquee matchups, that's for sure. Folks, enjoy your weekend. Hope your team wins, and we'll talk about it on the next J.C. and Morgan podcast, which will be dropped next Tuesday. So long, everybody.